uh, Joshua chapter 9, and beginning in verse 3, Joshua, if you'll remember, has just returned with Israel from the altars of Ebal, or the Mount of Ebal, and uh, as they have returned, they are renewed and they are inspired and they are ready now to take the land. And uh, Joshua chapter 9 verse 3 says that when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. And they made ready provisions with worn out sacks for the donkeys and wineskins torn and that had been mended. And verse 5, patched sandals and worn out clothes. All their provisions were dry and crumbly. Uh, Joshua, if you remember, has just taken the people of Israel uh, across the Jordan. They have defeated uh, Jericho, or they didn't defeat. Uh, God caused the walls to collapse and, and uh, gave them the victory. And then they defeated Ai, and now they have had a renewal in chapter 8. And now here in chapter 9, everybody's heard about the Israelites in the land of Canaan. There's a lot of fear now among the, the Canaanites. And a group, uh, one major group called the Gibeonites from the city of Gibeon, that makes sense, they had heard, verse 3 says, what Joshua had done. So they devised this plan. Let's, let's dress in old clothes and old sandals old, and get wineskins that have been mended and food that looks like it's been on a trail for about three weeks. And let's go to the Israelites and say, we're not from here. But we would like to enter a covenant with you and you be our people and we'll be your people and so it'll all be wonderful. So they do. Verse four says they went or verse six says they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have now come from a distant country. So make a covenant with us. Uh, now, the reason this is important is because in Exodus 23, verse 31, uh, God says to the Israelites, he says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, from the desert to the river. I will drive out the Canaanites from you, but do not make a covenant with them. That's what he says, Exodus 23, verse 32. I'm going to give you the land, and I'm going to help you drive them out because they are a very wicked people. And so I'm transferring that property to you. However, do not enter covenants with them. Because, see, a covenant, you can't hurt somebody you're in a covenant with because you're one. So he said, I don't, the last thing you want to do is make covenants with the Canaanites. 
Well, this is, so these are Canaanites. These Gibeonites are Canaanites. And they come, they say, well, see, I know you can't make covenants with Canaanites, but we're not from here. We're from way off. Uh, give me that map that has Gibeon on it. Let me show you. Uh, look how close this is to Jericho. This is like 20 miles. In fact, it is in the very center of Canaan. <laughs> they not only are Canaanites, they are Canaanites of the Canaanites. And so they, they come and say, uh, we, uh, we're from out of state. And so it's all right to enter a covenant with us and make vows and oaths before God. So here's what, uh, in verse 12, it says, uh, Here is our bread, verse 12, Joshua 9, 12. It is still warm when we took it from our house as food for the journey on the day we set out to come. But look now, it's dry, it's crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but look, they have burst. These garments and sandals of ours are all worn out from the very long journey. And look at verse 14. Now, I mean, you're thinking... Joshua, a military, wily commander-in-chief. And he looks at their sandals. They look old. Yeah. And he looks at their clothes. They look old. He looks at their bread. It looks old. And they say, enter covenant with us. And he says, okay. Joshua, what are you doing? Look at verse 14. So the men took some of the provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, verse 15, and made a covenant with them and to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. This is a failure in decision-making. Have you ever made some bad decisions that you now have to live with? Uh, for the first time, it says in verse 16, after three days they, dis they found out that these Gibeonites were neighbors and lived among them, that they weren't from out of town, that they actually are out of state. They actually lived right next to them. And... Uh, Verse 18, but the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord. And then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Here's a failure of wisdom on the part of leadership. Boy. Uh, but it's really a story about uh, making wrong decisions in life. Do you ever feel like, uh, and please, no show of hands on this one. Do you ever feel like you married the wrong person? You can tell me. <laughs> I mean, I got married too early. Did, uh, I read an article this week that, um, that the divorce rate in the Bible Belt, the southern states, is actually higher than the divorce rate in New York City, New York State. People feel like, you know, I know I'm a Christian, but 
man, I messed up big time. Now I've got to live with this person. See, that's kind of what Joshua is thinking here. I mean, I've entered a covenant with them. I didn't want to enter a covenant with them. I wasn't supposed to enter a covenant with them. Ah, but Joshua, verse 14, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Listen, we make enough wrong decisions even when we seek God's wisdom that we don't want to ever make a decision without seeking it. Amen? We, we, we keep wisdom like a sieve keeps water. Sieve, is that, is that a word? I asked our resident scholar, Jason White. And, and so they, they make this decision, and now they are stuck with the Gibeonites. All right, let's look at three quick things. One, we've touched on already what was the cause, the cause of this bad decision. We'll, then we'll look at the effect and then the solution. Well, what was the cause? Verse 14. What's the cause? What's the root source of bad decisions? They did not ask counsel of the Lord. You, you need to pray to God. James 1.5 says if you ask God for wisdom, He gives to all men generously. So you need to ask Him. You need to seek Him. You need to open His Word. What does God's Word say about this? Who you date, who you marry, the job you have, the direction you go, the life you live. All of these things and more, we need to seek his counsel. So the cause of bad decisions is making these decisions without really seeking God on them. The second thing we point out is the effect. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10. Um, the, the effect of this, and give me that next map, yeah. The effect was, and this is what you have in chapter 10, the first few verses, is all these kings in the southern area of Israel or Canaan land then, these, the kings of the south, they all get together and go and attack Gibeon. Because Gibeon is one of them. Hey, they've turned treason. And they are a key city. They're a major city. So all those uh, other pagan uh, kings got together, got all their kingdoms and all their armies, and they marched on Gibeon. They're going to retake Gibeon. They're not going to let a city like Gibeon go without a, without, um, without a fight. So here is the problem. Chapter 10, verse 6. And the men of Gibeon, what do they do when they hear about all these conspiracies and all these people coming after them? The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua in Gilgal saying, Don't relax now. Come up quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. See, when you make a bad decision, here's the effect. Unknown consequences. Yikes. We entered this covenant with Gibeon. Okay, well, I guess that's not so bad, but they didn't ask counsel of the Lord, but now they've got this covenant, so now they can't drive them out. Well, we'll just have to make do with them. But now, 
we're, they're part of us, and they're in trouble. So guess what? we got to go help them. Because we're in covenant with them. We're one with them. Their fight is our fight. I remember when I was a little boy, about seven or eight, and I was, uh, my mom and dad took me into uh, uh, looking at a house that was about half done, had a roof over it, and it was evening, and so it was kind of dark, and, uh, um, but it certainly was an unfinished house. And, and they, you know how parents say, now be careful because there's a lot of stuff laying around here. And me, man, I was, I was happy. I was seven, eight years old, and there, I was immortal. And so I'm running through the house, and there is a huge hole in the middle of the house where the stairs are supposed to go down to the concrete basement. The only thing is, there are no stairs. And there's a big hole. And I'm running through the house, you know. Everything looks fine to me. It feels good to me. But all of a sudden, I find myself sinking into darkness, and I reach out and grab the sides, and I barely am able to catch one side, and it scraped my whole rib cage. I mean, I was weeks recovering from this. The effects, there are unknown effects of running away from God. We don't anticipate the consequences. There are forgotten factors in disobedience, I'm going to tell you, and drifting away from God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And then if you do that, trust in the Lord and not, don't lean on your own understanding and logic and figuring it out, he said, then he will direct or make smooth your path. A smooth path. That's what I want. So the cause, not asking counsel, the effect is there's always going to be some surprising requirement from the Gibeonites. They're going to drain us financially. It's going to drain us emotionally. It's going to cause us time and energy. When we make decisions without asking God's counsel, we've always got some kind of problem that's making its demands and requirements and sucking the life and joy out of us. And that's what the Gibeonites ended up being. Now, let's talk about the solution. Ah, glad there's a solution. Ah, we got time for a solution? Ah, yeah. <laughs> we got to have a solution here. So what are we looking at? A leader who has failed a decision that has entered a covenant in a permanent condition now because of the covenant that you can't go back on that you, they have to live with the rest of their life. So Joshua probably thought, what have I gotten us into? I deserve this mess. Now I've got all these people coming to fight, and I'm supposed to go help the Gibeonites. And I want to give you three things that God gives to us, those of us who are living with wrong decisions. Messed up. But here in chapter 10, and here's the first one. 
God gives to Joshua, who's trying to live and deal with this, the consequences of a wrong decision. He gives to Joshua, chapter 10, verse 8, a gracious promise. This is the first thing. What's the first thing out of God's mouth? And the Lord said to Joshua, chapter 10, verse 8, I told you so. Is that what he says? Oh, man, I love this. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear. He says, I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them will stand before you. You know what this is? I want to tell you. Here's hope. This, the Gibeonites are the consequence of his lack of seeking God. He got in trouble and made a bad decision. Now here, the Gibeonite war now is the consequence. And God says, don't fear. I'm going to help you. Here's the word of the Lord. God will help us deal with the consequences of our own bad decisions. Not just forgive us for them and then say you're on your own. He helps us deal with the consequences that we have produced by our own foolishness. Now somebody ought to say amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Betty. When those of us who've lived a while, we've learned there are consequences to our decisions. <laughs> but praise God. He says to Joshua, the first thing out of God's mouth is this gracious promise. Do not fear them. I've given them into your hands. I love Psalm 31, 22. I said in my alarm, I am cut off from God. You ever thought that? Man, God's give up on me. Man, I am so done with God and Him with me. I said in my alarm, Psalm 31, 22, I am cut off from God. Nevertheless, He heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to Him. You ever been surprised by God's gracious answer to your prayers? Wow, He actually answered my prayer. This is Joshua. He's now facing all these enemies and God comes to him and he says, Joshua, and Joshua's like, uh, what? God says, do not fear. Oh. See, if it's okay with, with me and God, somehow we'll work the rest of it out. Here's the second thing. Look at his mighty power. God also brings to bear not only his gracious promise, but his mighty power. Look at verse 9. And Joshua came upon them suddenly, chapter 10, verse 9, marching all night. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, verse 10 says. And they struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. Ah, yes, as far as Azekah and Machedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, verse 11, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them, and they died. 
I guess they did. Here's your big stone. And it says, uh, there were more who died because of the stones thrown from heaven than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. <laughs> you can just see this soldier coming up. Ah, I got this Israelite in my sights now. I'm back to get him. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's nothing here but a stone. And the guy's crunched into the ground. <laughs> I like to fight when God fights with you. And look at verse 9. I mean, uh, chapter 10 and verse uh, 12. At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon. Uh, they started losing daylight, so they were winning the battle and the stones were, were destroying the five armies that had come against them, and they were, but they needed a little more daylight to finish it. Otherwise, they're going to escape into the darkness and they'll enter their cities and slam the gates and they want to start all over the next day. So Joshua said, Son, stand still. And it says in verse 13, the sun stood still and the moon stopped uh, and the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Uh, verse 14, and there has been no day like this before or since when the Lord heard and listened to the voice of a man. I guess not. If God would listen to the voice of a man and stop the sun from setting. Now obviously some have uh, questioned this miracle and uh, have said that that is just uh, astronomically impossible. You, there are you, the repercussions of uh, bringing the entire universe and the orbits of the planets to a sudden halt so that uh, one man in a little uh, obscure country can win a battle, that just doesn't make good scientific sense. And then they give, this is illustration I read, that... Uh, in a car, if you bring a car, it's going 90 to 100 miles an hour, you bring it to a complete stop, every occupant in that car keeps going at 90 miles an hour. They go through the windshield. So how do you deal with gravity and how do you deal with uh, 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 the, un the implications of bringing the orbits to a cease, to a cessation? Well, I, I don't know all that. But here's what I believe. I believe that if God can stop the sun, he can stop the reverberations in the universe that are caused by it. God can manage his miracles. I don't know how this could happen, but the God who can raise the dead can stop the sun. In fact, if God can create the universe with a word, then he can stop the whole thing from working with a word. This is a mighty God. And remember, this mighty power is brought to bear on behalf of the man who just made a stupid decision and did not consult the Lord. But now he's got a mess on his hands and God brings miraculous power to help him resolve the consequences of his own foolishness. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought the congregation was over there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. One other thing. His gracious promise, His mighty power, and then there is, how does God help us to live with wrong decisions? He gives us a special picture here for Joshua. Look at uh, chapter 10, verse 16. The five kings, the heads of the armies, they fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machedah. And it was told Joshua, the five leaders, the heads of the armies, they all got together and they're holed up in a cave. So Joshua's still in the middle of the battle. He says, well, roll a big stone in front of the cave and just let them stay there until we're done with the battle. Then we'll deal with it. So they do. After the battle's over and they have won decisively, verse 22 of chapter 10, Joshua said, now open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings to me from the cave. They did so. They brought out the five kings from the cave. King of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. They brought them out to Joshua, and Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. They came near, put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For And here I believe that this is the key verse of this whole section. Verse 25. For thus will the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. All right, now listen to this. In fact, give me that next, give me that next picture. This, this is, uh, y'all recognize this statue, the head of a statue? Who is that? Oh, well, it says up there, it's Omar Gaddafi. So who is that? It's Omar Gaddafi. Y'all are slow this morning. <laughs> anyway, this, they've toppled it. This is like a couple of weeks ago. Look how they're putting their feet on his head. They still do this over there in the Middle East. This is like a symbol of I win, you lose. In fact, it is, it is an insult in any Arab Middle Eastern nation to show the sole of your foot toward your guest or visitor. You, you can actually get arrested if you do that in, in Arabia if you, to a dignitary. You don't show the sole of your foot. Now, what Joshua does here is he says... I want you to put your feet on, because this is symbolic. This victory that we just won, where God intervened on our behalf, this victory, which is the greatest miracle of the sun standing still, this, this victory that came after a great failure, this is a pattern victory. Every victory you fight from now on, God will do and help you in the same way See, some victories are just breakthroughs. They're breakthroughs. You break through that one, the others topple like dominoes. Some sins, you, you get that sin crucified, dealt with, repented of, under the blood, 
in your past, done with it, it's like, all right, every other sin is water off a duck's back. Some answered prayers, you just get heaven to open up and give you that one thing, and then answered prayers just seem to flow like a Niagara. Some victories are pattern victories, precedent-setting, heaven-bursting victories. Go after the biggie. Win the big one. Identify it and then fight with everything you've got, praying to God in desperation that He gives you victory in that thing. You get that when you get the rest of it. I love that story of Abraham where God waits till he's like a hundred years old and Sarah's a hundred years old. God tells him, they, okay, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. At last, Abraham says, praise God, praise God. Because he's been struggling for years, decades, with this, with this faith issue of a son. Romans 4 says he... he finally didn't consider his own body that was dead and he didn't consider Sarah. He, he just said uh, he, grew str- he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He, it was a growth process. And he broke through and God said, I'm going to give you a son. God gave him Isaac. And he's 100 years old. And, you know, you think, okay, life's over now, man. I got the breakthrough. But, and it says in, that's in chapter 22... And then it says in chapter 23, and Sarah lived to be 127, and then she died. Huh? And then the next chapter says, and Abraham was old and advanced in years. So now, the next chapter opens. What do you think we see in the next chapter? What do you expect? Sarah has died. He's got his breakthrough. He finally got a son that neither one of them could have children, but God's now given them one. Now Sarah has died. Now he's old and advanced in years. Now the next chapter opens. What do you think is going to happen? I thought he's going to die. But here's the way it opens. Chapter Genesis 25.1. Abraham took another wife. Wait. Say, what? Her name was Keturah which is Hebrew for Kathy. And she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shuah. Well, he must not have been as infertile as he thought. He had the breakthrough with Isaac, and then he looked up and he said, I can do this. Uh, And then somebody runs up and says, not now because Sarah died. Oh, that's a problem. Well, I'll get married again because I had my breakthrough. I've just started to live. And then he had a son, and he had another 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 son. How old is this man? He had a breakthrough victory. See, put your feet on the neck of these enemies. And every time you have an enemy, you think of what God did for you here. This is a breakthrough victory. 
One more illustration. Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 2. She prayed to God, please give me a child. Please give me a son. But her ever-loving husband had a concubine who had many sons. And they would criticize Hannah and taunt her. Finally, it says in 1 Samuel 2.20, the Lord was gracious to Hannah and answered her prayer. And she conceived after several years of praying and weeping before God. And she gave birth to a son, Samuel. And God said, now, this is special. It's a breakthrough. This is your first child. And it's a miracle. And I want you to bring him and give him to me. He will be a prophet. Prophet Samuel. And then here's what the text says. 1 Samuel 2.20. And then God was gracious to Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel was growing up in the presence of the Lord. A breakthrough. A breakthrough. Then, after I had the one, now I can have them. There are prayer and holiness and victory breakthroughs that set the pace and set the pattern. It's like you put your feet on their neck of the enemy. And God says, you see what I did for you? In the midst of your failure, I wrought great miracles and answered your prayers and stopped the sun in its course. And every enemy you have, this is the pattern of victory. I'll give you. 